Good morning and welcome to the Volley Nerd Podcast. This is your host, Davis Ransom. And today on the podcast, I'm really stoked to welcome Skylar Del Sol, a professional beach volleyball player and a coach at the island. And he's here to talk about the grind of playing pro beach volleyball. So thanks for being here, Skylar. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So I've known Skylar for quite a while, but he has definitely been working up the ranks in professional beach volleyball and now he is coaching and passing on his knowledge to the new generation and he has been grinding hard on the tour and on multiple tours actually in order to get his name um, up the list as far as he can Uh, but it's not easy and we're gonna be talking about that a lot today Um, but before we do that would you mind just letting everyone know a little bit about your background uh, yeah, of course. Uh, I grew up in Elizabeth, Colorado. Um, only sport I played was volleyball. I played uh, at Parker Rec Center on like a youth co-ed league that my mom was the director of the program. And then grew up and played uh, club volleyball, uh, men's at Front Range, volleyball club to start. And then went into uh, college at San Diego uh, started at San Diego Mesa, then transferred over to San Diego City and met Mike Bruning okay. on the beach out on uh, South Mission Beach, actually. And uh, my club coach was, knew him uh, through the volleyball grapevine, small community. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I attached to Mike Bruning and Mike Bruning started teaching me how to play a little bit. And, you know, I was the I was the young kid that was hot headed and I was a big indoor guy and you know was getting beat by these older gentlemen on the beach and it frustrated me because <laughs> yeah. you know you you think volleyball is volleyball so you go out and you just try and smash some balls and then these guys just sit back there and dig you or you know take the ball on one or something like that and then they <laughs> they just so i met i met these older guys probably like four or five weekends in a row and I took another indoor friend of mine and I mean, we, we did well indoors and we just could not ever seem to beat these guys. And then once they kind of sat us down and told us the, the other end of volleyball, that was, that was when I kind of got a good piece of piece of how I really enjoyed beach volleyball over indoor volleyball. Totally. You know, if I, and I had a funny story about that too, because Butch Mays, uh, Misty Mays dad was always down at Huntington. And I mean, he was, he had to have been in his sixties when we played him and it was the same thing. I could just not beat this guy and we would hammer and he'd just be right there, just gobbling everything up. And so, so totally, I totally know what you mean. And Mike Bruning is such a good guy. That guy is just the greatest guy ever. I swear. Oh, he's a, he's a great guy. And he, you know, he, he never got frustrated and was just always mellow and, you know, he, I think he just enjoyed playing. He just, he wasn't a guy that was just like one of those crazy hyper competitive people that's aggravated when you screw up, he would turn and he'd teach me, you know, he was kind of grooming me in a sense of, you know, he wanted me to get better. Right. And that's so cool to have that mentor. And he was, he was good. I mean, he was really good and knew a lot about beach. That's for sure. Uh, After that, I actually came back home to Colorado and you know just started playing the local tournaments here uh you know i'd play like co-ed on friday grass and then i'd play like saturday sunday in an open division tournament which is maybe like an a mid double a level out in california tournament and then you know started kind of coming up through the through the rankings there took me probably about two or three years and then i connected with uh a gentleman named uh, David Smith. Okay. And he was on tour, the AVP tour. And he was, he always was like, I'm the road warrior. I would, I would take my car and I'd drive across the country and I'd go to all the AVP events with my brother. And <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so then he picked me up and then we went to Chula Vista, uh, the Olympic training center. And we played, a. Uh, North Seca qualifier to try and play in Mexico to represent USA. 
and we ended up taking second to Stafford Slick and Evan Engel was his name. Okay. So, you know, my pro tour kind of started with Dave Smith on when I would actually start traveling and playing volleyball and not just kind of like the local scene. So you were in the indoor side of things for a long time, basically up until college. Then you started transferring over to the beach and kind of got really into it and built up yourself in the local scene in Colorado and then started traveling with Dave Smith, who's pretty great partner to have actually that's awesome pickup yeah, he was he was the he was the veteran man he was showing me the ropes and teaching me how to you know find host families it's not about like just getting a hotel you know because that right. costs money every time you travel or mm-hmm. it's not always about trying to buy a plane ticket it's probably about you know maybe you have to sacrifice a 12-hour drive to get to texas from colorado to go play a tournament or a 14-hour drive to get to la to play a tournament if it's like cost effective and then he's like, you have to, you have to network because the sport's not like a normal sport. You have to have families that are either in the volleyball community or that have been around the volleyball community that can actually put you up. Mm-hmm. So you don't have the added expense of a hotel. Right. So that's where I really started to, you know, connect with, you know, the, the, people on the sidelines or someone would come up to me and, you know, introduce themselves and, you know, I'd, I'd really get to know them on a personal level. And now I have friends like in every single state that there could possibly ever be volleyball in. And I stay, I actually stay connected with all those friends like on a yearly basis or every time I go out to New York, I stay with a, a gentleman and his wife uh, named Ted and they're an older, older couple that have lived in New York that I mean for for their entire life and they play volleyball kind of like on a recreational like weekend warrior type thing but um you know they they're willing to put me up every time I go to New York and I know a lot of guys they go out to New York that's you know coming from LA that don't have you know a friend that's in like LA or Chicago or New York or Florida or wherever the tournament is and they have to spend an extra five to five hundred to a thousand dollars just to find a place to sleep, or they have to room with, you know, like five people in a studio apartment and <laughs> an Airbnb, right. or you know, you got people sleeping on the floor, or sleeping on the couch, or somebody brings an air mattress or something like that. But it's nice to find family. So I mean, if you're starting out, don't don't just like shy away from people you know you gotta you gotta network you need to you need to have a, a a nice bed that has a person that's willing to make you a warm breakfast or you know hook you up with a jack and coke at night or something like that <laughs> right right well you can be comfortable so you can play your best volleyball right. basically right if you're cramming into a one bedroom with five other guys that's not necessarily conducive to being you know at the at your best in the early morning when you got to be good you know and all day (laughs) you know so i think that's a great point and i mean we're going to kind of get into some of the finances of the grind but you're already kind of touching on it like the the amount that you have to spend in order to make minimal money is significant right so you try to keep those costs down no matter who you are pretty much in the in the scene because it's you're not making a ton of money, at least on the AVP. Um, and definitely not if you're not in the top, you know, 10 or so teams, basically, right? And I mean, we can go into this a little bit more, but do you want to touch on that a little bit? Oh, yeah, I could, I could talk about this all day. Um, okay, yeah. so you know, you have you have the finances, so you have you have training during the week, and that that costs money because it's it's trying on your body and. You have to find time in the day to do that. And if you have to sacrifice like work time or, you know, time with a relationship or, you know, there's, there's so many sacrifices that have to happen for the love of this game that you're basically living like two lives at one time. So you got to be the professional volleyball player and then you got to be like the husband or the boyfriend or, you know, you got to be the the bartender or the waiter or, you know, you got to go to work during the morning and, you know, be an engineer or something like that so it's basically like 
a separate life folded into the the adult life that you now have to, you know, balance out through through the time that you're playing. So you can't just set life aside and then all of a sudden you're 40 and then pop out on the other end and be like, well, crap, I used all my money to play volleyball. I don't have a house. I don't have right. a car. You know, I don't have the 401k that everybody has when they hit 65. You know, there, there's, it's kind of a dream, right? So you, you have to live the dream and then you have to live reality at the same time. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. And, and so many people have this dream of being a pro volleyball player. And I know for, for sure I had that dream at one point. And then I kind of had to decide between chasing the dream and not chasing the dream and, and having a real job, you know, quote unquote, a real job. You know what I mean? Um, not the volleyball is not, but it's, you know, and you have to treat it like a job, even though you're not making all that much money typically. And you're a high level player. Like I, I want to put this in perspective for people. Like I think you are around 33rd in the nation out of all the players that there are who play volleyball. Right. And so we're talking about saving money and you're literally in the top, you know, 30 essentially players in the country. Right. And so for those other people that that are trying to make it, man, that money, the travel, all that. And you're right. And then having a family or a girlfriend or, you know, a wife or whatever, that's all adulting, too, that is required. And I think that your view on that is really cool. And yet you've been able to get it done. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you got good in Colorado, I mean, you mentioned your, some of your partners picking you up, but I would imagine it's a little bit more difficult in some ways than playing in California where there are a lot of, you know, really great players that are trying to be pros yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so you got to think every time you train, like the best become the best because they train against the best or they play against the best at all times. Like, so if you're a main drop player, you're constantly battling against main drop players. If you're a qualifier player, you're constantly battling against qualifier players. And, you know, you kind of tear down from there. And the reason why this, you know, kind of like chain of command happens is the better players want to be challenged at all times. And now I'm not saying like Phil Dahlhauser is the better player. I'm saying like, you know, middle tier qualifier guys want to be challenged by better players. So they want to try and get into the groups with the all time pros like, like Dahlhauser, but Dahlhauser doesn't even want to take a look at you unless you've proven yourself against him in like some fashion. So you can't just all of a sudden hit up the top tier pros and say, Hey, let's train. And then you're not going to get a message back because they don't want to waste their energy or their time or their training or like time away from their family to go and practice for two to three hours a day against a person where they can go half speed and, and smoke you basically. Right. So, yeah. So to stay good, I mean, you got to do the little things One, you got to have a, you have a, you have to have a good understanding of like the fundamentals and then you have to go into the advanced skills at a higher level. So like when I train, I've trained against Dahlhauser almost every day that I train out here because I have these <laughs> these dollar like store pool noodles that I <laughs> that I make shift and you know I have a, a my training group hold them up at Dahlhauser's blocking height and you know I watch video on how high he touches on the antenna or something like that when he blocks so okay. I I find a way to simulate like, okay, if you're going to shoot a high line over Dollhauser versus shooting a high line over me blocking, which I'm like six feet tall and maybe touch halfway up the antenna. There's no, I can't simulate that if I'm doing it. So I have to find like a tool to right. make that something that I can kind of get in a rhythm with. That's a great point. That's such a great point because he, you're not going to be able to play against Dahlhauser. In fact, when, once you said you played against Dahlhauser every day, I was like, what you did? That's amazing. And then you're, but, but you did in a sense because you're simulating it to the best right. that you can. Right. So that's awesome. 
So what are some other things you do like that in order to simulate some of the top guys? Well, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta be able to take a heavy jump serve. You have to be able to have the reaction time off of a hand and an approach, and you have to be able to play defense against a, a fast shot versus like a hanging shot. So, you know, when I, when I play guys out here that are, that are local in Colorado, I, I'm, I take my time and I, I teach them like, Hey, that's not going to work. Or, Hey, that's not, that's not how this is going to be done. Or if you keep doing that, you're just, you're wasting your time. If you're doing that kind of shot versus taking a, a harder approach into, you know, uh, a bigger jump and holding me on defense versus letting me go. Cause you're slowing down and I can read your shooting before you even do it. So, so I have to build up. I, I've had to build up in the community a lot of the players here to make them better and to help them understand to a higher level so then I can actually propel myself further in the community that I have. And and that's a big issue because I, when you have a partner that can train in California, that lives in California, that was born and raised there, you know, and they're already a pro – and, you know, you get a knock on your door and then all of a sudden you have to show up and you have to show up and you have to play this tournament with a guy that you've been waiting for a phone call from and you can't, you know, operate the way you should, then you're going to lose that partner in the first practice. Right. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. And there's, there's. I would imagine, you know, I haven't, I've played the littlest bit of volleyball in Colorado, but I would imagine that there's a lot of good guys, but not to the same degree as in LA where, you know, you could come down to Hermosa or whatever, and maybe end up getting a game against someone really pretty good. Is that true? Or like, what, what's it like Denver compared to LA in terms of the level? Um, I know you mentioned it's kind of double A ish in the open tournaments, but like the training level and how many good guys come out and stuff like that. So I'd say, you know, there's probably a handful of, of players here that might, I don't even, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say a handful anymore. Probably like three teams worth of players that would probably try and go play like travel and qual- try and qualify for an AVP. And, and those guys are, you know, there's one team out here that could be like knocking at the door of, you know, they're in or out on like the last round of the AVP. And then the next team is probably losing their first or second round of the four, four teams that they have to beat to try and make it through the, the snake pit really. But um, I, there is the problem is, is in Colorado, there's, there's not enough like consistency so, you know, we have athletes out here that that are amazing athletes. Like we got six, eight guys that, you know, can touch the top of the antenna that could be the next like Troy Field or something like that. But but they're not like consistently playing. And right. in California, like you said, you can walk down to the beach and probably go pick up a, a pretty decent game. Here you you don't get that. You have to be in in a group somewhere that says, Hey, we're gonna go play. It's it's snowing right now outside and I had to go train at five thirty AM to seven thirty and I had to, you know, I had to roll oh guys in <laughs> and then I had people call me at like five o'clock this morning and be like, Hey, it's snowing. Like, are we still going? And I'm like, Yeah. And he's like, Well, nah, I don't think I'm gonna go this time. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's just different. I mean, yeah, being able to play year round, that would obviously be different. And then it takes a different level of dedication, I would imagine, to train out there because of the conditions of uh, literally playing in snow. <laughs> that's crazy. So that's, yeah, that's got to be a different thing. So, and then I think you mentioned to me off the air that you sort of try to tap into particular guys' um, excellent skills. Like, so if someone's a great server out there, you'll have them bomb their jump serve at you. Or if they're a big, huge blocker, you'll try to bring them out and go against right. their block. 
like, like is can you talk a little bit about that? That seems like a pretty cool so, idea. I mean, there's so much that goes into this game on like fundamentals and skills and then being more advanced in those in those skills and having the ability to actually play the sport at a higher level. It's I can't tell you how frustrating it is, but <laughs> so the you know, you, you find a guy that's a big indoor player that's, you know, six six that has no idea like how to walk straight but for some reason he found a a crazy heavy jump serve and this guy can show up and just bomb balls and then if you play a game against him you you beat him pretty easily without even looking and like bumping the ball over his head and then (laughs) and then you just score when it falls right behind him but but you need him to practice that jump serve you know and then you don't see like a case beer a jeremy case beer jump serve every single day where, you know, Jeremy's playing against guys that are jump serving that ball at him as hard as he's serving it, you know, towards them. So, so it's hard to kind of like simulate while you show up in California. Now the ball's dropping three feet further in the sand than what it does in Colorado, just based on elevation and air density. And, you know, you got guys that are just ripping jump serves in California and in Colorado, it's very rare to find, you know, the ability to practice passing just a jump serve that's hit hard enough to simulate what you'd see like in a tournament. And then you got to right. find the guy that's, you know, 6'11 that has a 30 inch vertical to try and simulate, you know, Dahlhauser's block, which sometimes, you know, we have a couple guys that can do that out here, but we have to go get the pool noodles and simulate Dahlhauser's block so you can practice shooting and hitting around a bigger block. I think really cool way of thinking about it when you're not going to have the complete player out there that you would like a dollhouser right so you you pick aspects of his game and the player that you're trying to simulate his game with to try to work on your game at that time i think that's a really interesting way of doing it and i think i think more guys could utilize that that are coming up you know what i mean because like you said they're trying to get the good games but the better guys don't want to give them the good games not and it's it's not we were talking about this a little bit um it's not that these guys are bad and we're talking it's all relative right so it's like if you're trying to be in the top 10 you need to play top you know top 10 type guys so if you can't play those top 10 guys because and they don't want to play you because you're not that guy yet what can you do to get to that level? So these simulations and taking bits and pieces of the players um, is is another cool way to do it, I think. I think more people could be doing that, you know, because if you're losing the serve and pass, you need guys that, that can rip their jump serve or, or spot, you know, really tough floaters that are coming from high, lo- uh, high contact points, stuff right. like that. Yeah. And, I mean, because that's the classic – that's the classic problem, you know, it used to be, it's like I grew up in Huntington and it used to be workups and literally there'd be just pros down there just signing up for workups and then just running the court the whole day. And it's sort of shifted away from that towards, like you said, just you have your training group and this is who you're going to play with all day. So it, and how do you break in? Right. And so I think that's a really cool idea that you use. I think that's awesome. Um, you also mentioned you're big on video. Yeah. Right. And just breaking stuff down to like just a really minute detail. Do you want to touch on that? Yeah, a little sure. Bit? Uh, so when I watch, I mean, I, I film everything. I film tournaments, I film practices, I film like isolated skill drills to where, you know, people are trying to work on digging with their left hand, you know. And it's not just digging a ball with your left hand. It's, okay, what knee hits the ground? Or is there a knee that hits the ground? Or do you have your right hand on the ground when you're trying to dig it? I mean, there's there's more to a skill than just the skill that's being played. And, you know, Chase Frischman is one of the best, like, service seat passers I've ever seen. His platform, his footwork, his, like, ball controllability is through the roof. And, you know, I watch him pass, and then I – I literally break down like, okay, the serve is contacted. What's his movement? Oh, he doesn't have any. Well, what's my movement? Oh, I'm jumping forward. Well, why am I running forward when the serve hasn't even left the hand yet? You know, and it's, and Mm -hmm. so then the ball goes like to his right side towards the sideline. And then, 
he doesn't run forward and then to the right. He actually just shuffles to the right and then reaches outside of his platform or outside of his body and then, you know, just lifts the ball. So when I break down this game, it's it's literally like a frame by frame. Who am I trying to, you know, duplicate? Who am I trying to, you know, imagine myself being? I can't imagine myself being Dollhauser because he's six nine and has a giant wingspan that's completely outside of my ability, right? So you got to find a player that matches your specific, like, physical ability, like physical appearance. So when I watch, like, Bruno Schmidt on the FIVB tour, he's about my height. He's six feet tall. He's got about my vertical. He jumps probably over 36 inches and he's super explosive and is crazy good. You know, he's a gold medalist. So, you know, when I'm watching him play defense, it's okay. He steps into the cross early. Well, why is he stepping the cross early? I always thought he wanted to hide behind the blocker and then pop out late and then, you know, try and make a dig then and try and bait them into going into something. And then he's literally just standing there challenging them to blast a ball at him. You know, he's like, I'm going to sit here. And then if you hit it, you know, good luck. Or if you shoot it to the line, I'll still be fast enough to run it down. So then I kind of, I looked into that with a little more detail. I was like, you know, he's not popping out because he doesn't have to change directions when he's trying to dig that high line. He's literally stepping into the cross early, sitting still, and then he's moving once he sees the ball actually leave the hand and go high line, you know? So, right. so there's a big, like, there was something there that I never knew. And I don't have the coaches out here that have the experience in beach volleyball. It's, it's Colorado. We, we live under a rock, but, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't have the coaches out here that can be like, Hey, you, you're not doing this or you're, you're not doing this or taking this step early or you're not balanced or so I have to see it. And then I have to coach myself and then I have to coach myself in reference to, you know, someone else that's been coached at the highest level, you know, what is that guy doing that's different from me? So when I break down my game, I, I never really had the coaches to say, do this, you know, here's, here's the right. answer to, to your problem. And that's, that's a big thing in beach volleyball is, you know, you could be, you could be a main dry level guy that has that coach in the stands that you can pay with your endorsement deals or your, you know, your consistent paycheck from the AVP because you're in the main draw. And then you have, the guys that, you know, get into the main draw pretty consistently but can't get far enough in to knock those other main draw guys out because they score more points, like, automatically. And then you have the guys that that are kind of sitting middle main draw – or, sorry, middle uh, qualifier that can't afford to pay the coach because then they have to pull it away from their rent or their car payments or their cell phones or, <laughs> you know, some, yeah because they can't afford – to take the expense of this travel trip and then go back home and pay a coach, you know, three times a week to come in and help coach like what they need to get better. So, so yeah. when you're sitting in the qualifier, you're, I mean, you're, <laughs> you're, you're hurting yourself over and over and over again until you can actually start being disciplined enough to break down video, you know, coach yourself, analyze the game and and then again you're taking more practice time because now you did a, a two to three hour practice in the morning you got to go to work and then you got to come home and then you got to sit on the computer and analyze that two to three hour practice frame by frame <laughs> and and right. check right. like okay did I do this right did I do this right you know what are the small things that I need to fix in my game what was bad about that shot what was bad about this jump serve what was good about it you know and then you got to start right. breaking that stuff down. So, I mean, when I break down video, it is, it's not just, oh, let's watch practice. It's, oh, this is wrong or footwork's wrong. Or, you know, I'm finding the, the smallest detail in my game to, to fix myself as a player. Absolutely. And I think you have to do that to a degree. And I don't mean you, I mean, everyone that, unless you're just some freak athlete and you are a pretty freaky athlete. If people that haven't watched him play, watch him on YouTube. Oh my goodness. This guy is so fun to watch and you are a freaky athlete, but you're six foot. Right. And unless you're seven foot or whatever, I mean, even the top guys 
have to analyze their video to a really high degree, right? And I think that's becoming one of the biggest differences between when I played and now. Like, they're, they're not only breaking themselves down. I mean, they're doing that all constantly, but they're also breaking down their opponents and, you know, just little variations and nuances in what they're doing so they can get an advantage on them when they can. But I'd say, like you said, even like most commonly, it's just looking at themselves play, right? So that they can break down every little situation from to the finest little detail, right? Everything that you do on every single situation, right? And people that are outside observers, they look at a volleyball play and they a lot of them look very similar. But to the person that's as into it as you are the plays that look similar actually have a lot of differences to them and if you notice you can really learn from that and grow right so i love that that you're taking that approach to video and that's really awesome yeah and then i love the idea of a play alike too. try and find someone who's better than you you know in theory but you play like them and then you can try to simulate what they do with yours because like you said if i try to play like dollhouser i'm six four he's six nine and long you know i wouldn't it wouldn't be successful it wouldn't be a beneficial you know exercise but you know and and for you you were mentioning like taylor crab is your size but you guys aren't the same stature in a in a sense like he weighs 30 or almost 35 pounds more or i'm sorry less than you Right. So you guys play similarly and you're similar height, but it's like trying to find the guy that's playing as similar as you do. Right. Do you want to t- touch on that right. a little well, bit? I mean, in comparison, you know, Taylor, just a freak athlete. Like this guy is, you know, born and bred on the beach. It was like, in my opinion, like the MVP of the Division One, like National League and for indoor, you know, and. Right. I mean, he the things that he accomplished and the ball control that he has, and him being the the height that he is, it's a it's a feat in itself. You know, like Dahlhauser, obviously one of the greats, but you know, if Dahlhauser was six feet tall, would he still be able to accomplish what he has accomplished? I, you know, so Taylor, for Taylor to be six feet tall and to be as explosive and smooth and have the vision that he does, is it's you know, it's, it's undescribable. It's, it's frustrating also because it's like, I want to, sometimes I want to <laughs> punch this guy in the face. I don't even know <laughs> because he's so good, but like, um, you know, yeah. uh, so, you know, when he, when he's running around in the sand, he's, he's very fast. And, you know, I, I don't know how much, how much money I've paid, but I've paid phys- like physical trainers and, you know, people that can help me with, my game and you know once i got those sponsorships locked down and you know could pay for people to look at my body and be like okay this is your sport this is what you need to be better at you know i got in the gym and i got super aggressive with the weights and then i started stacking like my body with pure muscle and you know just trying to be as explosive as possible and then you look at taylor and it's like i don't know if this guy eats a sandwich like ever <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know if he's in the gym very much, you know, but you know, the guy obviously takes care of his body and he's in the gym and I'm sure he's eating a sandwich every once in a while, but, um, yeah, but I know what you mean. He's not, he's not jacked. Like he's, he's definitely he's, not, he's you know pure, pure he's lean muscle. Yeah. And there's not, so there's a thing of like yes. junk muscle versus like sports specific muscle and Taylor's got it. You do. You don't want to be yeah. like a bulky, heavy person because when you're when you're stacked with muscle and you got all this muscle up on your upper body and your lower body and you're trying to carry this thing around for four matches in a day, by the fourth match, your knees are probably going to start screaming at you, and then you're going to have to go home and then you're going to have to ice and then you got to wake up at six a.m. the next morning and try and play another match. And it's like, so the lighter you can be for this sport based on the impact and the impact and how much you're using your body to throw yourself through the sand, it's, it's more beneficial to be lighter for sure. So in comparison, I can't really, I can't say like my game can be like Taylor's because yeah, he's my height, but he's just a whole different creature 
in the aspect of like right. what he weighs, how long he can go for, what's his vertical, you know, how quick he is on the sand. So, so my my compare my perfect comparison would probably be around Bruno Schmidt from from Brazil. And it's kind of weird when you look at the Brazilians; they're all like like Alisson is just like stacked, like he looks like a mammoth. You know, he's like this mm-hmm. big guy. Yep. And then you look at Dahlhauser, which probably weighs as much as I do, who and they're both the same height. So you got one guy that weighs like 230 and then you got another guy that weighs like 190 blown around in the wind. And then you got Taylor that's that's 165 on a good day. And then I'm sitting around 195. So you can't really compare their all everybody's game, even though they're the same height, they're different weights. They have to move. That's such a good point. That's such a good point. And you can compare, but it's also knowing yourself, right? Knowing where you you are like Bruno and where you're, where you are like, you know, crab or whoever, but that's an interesting point. I didn't even think about what you said about the Brazilians compared to the Americans. You definitely see thicker players in Brazil, like in general, like you got, you got some thick players in, in, um, and what I'm saying thick, I'm not talking football thick. I'm talking volleyball thick, but you know, like they, they, Ricardo is a bigger guy. You know what I mean? Um, a bunch of these guys come from Brazil that are that are you know pretty stocky guys. They obviously obviously can still move their body, but you're absolutely right. You know, and then the Taylor Krabs, one sixty five. Yeah, it's interesting and knowing your body and taking care of your body. And then you really mentioned the grind right there. Basically, you can play some good volleyball and then the grind becomes, can you keep doing that? Right. Can you do it again the next day? Right. And the recovery and all that stuff, like you were saying, the, the, the lower and second tier and even middle tier guys, they don't have specialists analyzing their body and doing PT with them. They're, they're doing a lot of it on their own or, or it's hit and miss when they can. Right. So that grind of just recovery is key. Do you want to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, I will talk about that. Um, okay, so you got to go back to when I was talking about, you know, you, you wake up in the morning, you practice, and then you have to go to work. Okay, And then let's say you work from like a, a ni- an average, like nine to five or eight to four. And then, you know, sometimes you get a you get a practice or you have to go lift weights after work. And then not only that, then you have to go break down video of everything you just did. Well, well now you got to wake up the next day and then you have to do it all over again usually. And this is kind of like the average, you know, person that's super committed. That's kind of like professional or, you know, like high end qualifier or, you know, kind of like a higher end level player. They're dedicating like every morning and every afternoon to just playing and just trying to benefit themselves physically you know, and then you got to go into a qualifier and the lower, the lower ranked teams that play in a qualifier have to play an average of like three to four matches in a day just to get into the tournament. So you got to play a full tournament, you know, like I think Dahlhauser wins a tournament in four matches and that's, and that's spread over like a Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So he might walk in, and play like two matches on Friday and then go home and then come in Saturday, win a match or not even play Saturday and then show up Sunday and then play one to two matches and then gold medal. Here's your, here's your, you know, trophy and here's your paycheck. And for that, that's, that's just us on Friday or sorry, not Friday, like a Thursday or even a Wednesday sometimes. Right. So, so those lower tier teams actually have to play that first match and then the upper tier teams in the qualifier get that first round by, which can benefit or hurt you because the team that played before is now already adapted to the elements and this, the scenery. And I mean, anything that goes along with the game and then the, you know, the top four or top eight teams that got the first round by now have to show up cold and then they got to make sure that they show up an hour early, you know, to, to stretch and, you know, formal. And then they got to find an empty court in between games and, you know, hit some balls and serve and pepper on the sidelines and, 
and then you got to show up to your first match, and then the in the qualifier it's a single elimination. So right. so Seriously. you could fly from yeah. L.A. to New York or L.A. to Florida or you know Colorado to Chicago and and show up for your first game, and you could be a the the number one ranked team in the qualifier, and then get shown up by some team that was just ready to go more ready to go than you were because they played a match before and then you didn't get paid right (laughs) yeah and you're you're done at like 9 15 right (laughs) yeah your whole tournament and experience is done and then you're just waiting to come back you can't just show up on you know the the thursday that you have the qualifier you got to show up on like a tuesday you got to arrive like a tuesday evening well well, what did that just do to your week? Well, because you're playing a qualifier, you now don't get to work from Tuesday to Friday because you have to buy your flight in advance, right? You know, Southwest is probably the volleyball player's best friend for an airline because you can actually switch and change flights without any fees and cancel flights, right? Right, right. Yeah, because if you if you win, you continue on. Right. So making your work schedule would be really difficult. And then making your travel plans is obviously really difficult because obviously you're hoping you win. But if you lose, you go home, you know, that day or whatever, if, if you can. If not, you have to wait until your flight comes. People don't get that. Like, that's such a uh, such a difficult part of the grind, you know, is, is is getting out of that little bubble of winning the qualifier and 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 it's hard to win qualifiers. It's hard to win tournaments when all these guys are pro level players too. I mean, you know, so I, there's that too. So I think that's such a good point. And, and the number of matches and the number of matches that you play in a day. Right. And, and then coming back in to play at a high level, such a, such an interesting point. And then you mentioned with all the travel, how every city is just a brand new game of chess, so to speak. Right. You want to talk on that? Okay, so like I, I'm considered, to my knowledge, I'm considered one of the best players to play in Colorado. So you know when you get a California team that comes out to like Aspen, that's even a higher level of elevation than I am. The my ability to play and have knowledge of different scenarios in this game because it's outside is much higher than like a California team coming into Aspen never playing before and then playing against me where I've played my whole life. It's kind of like me, a Colorado local now going out to LA and trying to play on the beach for the first time. I I don't even have a chance. Like there's no prayer that I will ever beat a California team coming straight out of Colorado without ever like understanding wind elements and air friction and how the ball moves. And, you know, there's just so much difference in each game. So when you, when you go from like LA to Florida, you know, you're still playing at sea level, but the elements are different. The wind changes things, the the type of wind that it is, um, you know, the humidity in the air changes everything. So when you play a game, so it's, for example, like Dahlhauser and Nick Lucino playing Jake Gibb and Taylor Crabb in LA is going to be a different game to watch in Florida and Chicago and Colorado and Washington and Texas. So you got to think of how do you play, play your checker game against a different opponent every single time, because your opponent changes based on where you're playing them or how they play in that specific scenario. Right. That's such a good point. And, and like you said, guys play different. The ball plays different. The wind plays different. The humidity Right, even the crowd and the um, whether you're in a stadium, you know, all that stuff plays into it in a in a big way. In a little ways that add up to big ways, right? So it's it's essentially the game because all these guys are high level players and can make plays, but if the wind is diagonal in Huntington, and you don't know that. And you're trying to go line to line, and there's and they're serving advantage by serving into the wind diagonal. You're going to be behind, so to speak, and and it's such a influential thing. And the top 
the top guys realize this, and I think a lot of I think a lot of beach volleyball players realize this, but the top guys really study it and really analyze it. And like for you, you're traveling all over the place. And that must just be difficult to adapt to. But since you have those adaptation skills, that could help you long term. That's why, you know, you kind of prolong the, your peak. Everybody peaks later in this sport because you have to learn how to play those different chess boards in all those different locations and still be the same good player you are in every, every possible game. So, yeah, exactly what you're what you're talking about is, you know, you got to have time and you got to have time to adapt, and then you got to know what you're walking into. So, I'm not a very good, I wasn't a very good like Colorado to California player, but now I'm a lot better California player than I was, you know, five years ago when I didn't understand that, you know, the wind moves the ball differently and your team differently. You have to move your whole, you know, offensive ability and defensive ability adapting to you know the heavier sand and the wind and all the all the elements that kind of contribute to it you've also played a bunch on the fivb and so how does that compare to playing like the you know national circuit the u.s circuit like the avp Um, like what are some comparisons there i think i've played so I've played like six or seven Norseka events, and then I've played three or four FIVB events. Okay. Um, so the just to give you clarification, the, the Norseka event is an international tournament that you have to play an in-house qualifier to have the ability to represent USA in that international event. And then there's only two teams from USA that can go to each Norseka event. When you go play those, those are kind of like they're they're an average like open level team in like the CBVA. Like they're they're good. They know what they're doing. They represent their country. They've played this sport for a while. Um, yeah, and, and I would say they're probably like an average higher end qualifier team every every single match. And then when you go okay. into the FIVB, there's five tiers of FIVB. So there's one, two, three, four, five-star events. So when you play like the one and two-star events, you know, that means you're flying you're flying from like USA to Malaysia to play a two-star event. And every star ranking is worth more points. So if you win a one-star event, you you get the lowest amount of points possible for winning an event. And if you win a five-star event, that's the the highest point possible. And then you're talking like Olympic-level teams. So every time there's like a five-star or four-star event, you're basically watching the Olympics all over again. It's awesome. That's so cool. It's a high-level. It's a high-level play. Yeah. yeah. People people aren't going to travel all across the world to uh, unless they think they have a chance, right? So so you see the teams that are really really committed going after it, right? So, so that's really cool. And let's, let's go into this, into the money of it, because there's not a lot of discussion about the money, but the money is, it's a big part of it and it plays into it in interesting ways. So you already mentioned that you got to have a job and, you know, you want to have a family and stuff like this. Um, so how does the money play out and how does it work as far as, you know, does the FIVB one-star event make more than like an AVP event? And like, how does all the money play out? Um, okay. <laughs> I know it's a big this question. Is, yeah. This is, it's a lot. Okay. So yeah. first let's talk about the point system. The, the okay. AVP, USAV, and FIVB, including FIVB slash like North Seca events. They have okay. nothing to do with each other. So okay. you can be you can be a main draw player on the AVP, and then you would sign up for an FIVB event and not even get in because you don't have the points specifically for the FIVB World Tour. Okay. Now, for USAV, USAV points only matter 
on a paycheck scale. So based on what events you're winning and how much that event's paying out is how you get your USAV ranking. Specifically for the AVP, how you do in the AVP tour only is how you're ranked in the AVP tour. So when you talk about like a national ranking through USAV and AVP, those are going to look different. And it's it's just based on income. So now when you're talking about FIVB payouts, you know, the, the FIVB pays out the highest. And that's probably only at like the three, four, or five-star events. And that's also going to depend on which event you're going to. So if you have a higher-end three-star, that's going to pay a lot more. If you have a lower-end three-star, it's going to pay a little less. So it kind of varies in different city to city. When you're trying to travel internationally, you have to, one, you have to get the green light from USA Volleyball to say you're going and this green light could show up like I think the smallest window is three weeks so you could be going into like the month of May at the first month or the first of the month and not be going because there's already three teams that have higher points than you on an FIVB scale and USA scale that could be representing USA in this event and then let's say Oh, Dollhauser twisted his knee. He's not going anymore. So then all of a sudden you get this three-week window of like, hey, you're going to this event. Good luck. So you got to be ready to pull the trigger even as like the window's closing down after you've already gone through like a week in May. And now you have to book an international flight to, you know, get you across the world and then hope that <laughs> hope that the prices didn't go up of this right. international flight. Find somewhere to stay. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, you got to get it. Usually the FIVB, as long as you're not in a qualifier. So, like, for example, that example of like Dollhouse just twists his knee and you're on the reserve list, you're probably going to end up playing the qualifier. You don't have a place to stay while you're in the qualifier. You only have a place to stay while you're in the main draw, which is the same thing for the AVP. The AVP puts their main draw players up. And then all the qualifier players have to fight for themselves for hotels or Airbnbs or whatnot. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. I didn't know that. If you go all the way over there to play in the qualifier and you got to put yourself up, man. So that's been, that's getting into the thousands of dollars per trip. Easily. Yeah. Well, okay. So fun, fun uh, story. Okay. Mike Bogue and I, we teamed up and we went over to Austria. We we bought a skip lag. It's an app. It's a it's an airline that sorry, let's let's go. So if you wanted to buy a flight from Colorado to LA and it was two hundred dollars, but then you looked on skip lag, you could go from Colorado to a connecting flight in LA that was supposed to go to Oregon. And then you just jump ship in LA and you don't continue on your connecting flight to Oregon. Does that make sense? Okay. Yes. So when you look on skip lag, it actually gives you cheaper flights, but you can't like have a big suitcase that you have to store below because you have to jump ship halfway through. Ah, okay. Okay. So it it gets a little, little (laughs) sketchy sometimes. So you're looking up skip lag and then you're trying to fly international. So what we planned on doing is we went to Austria for, I think it was a two or three star event and we were in the qualifier. We had to get a hostel where we just kind of, we stayed in a room together and we just tried to minimize all of our expenses. And then we had to go play the qualifier. We didn't have a returning flight. Oh my goodness. Because on skip, well, we didn't know when we were going to come home. So we didn't want to like put ourselves out till like Sunday to potentially say like, Oh, we made it through the qualifier. Awesome. Now we have a free place to stay until Sunday or, Oh shoot. We didn't make it through the qualifier. Now we have to stay until Sunday and we have to pay more of an expense for a hotel. Right. So what, so what we ended up doing is we got a good deal. One way flight. We lost the last round of the qualifier. That was my fault. I did not pass very well on the wind on that side, but um, so then we have to find a way to get home. 
and we were going to try and get home quick to play a, a local tournament in Colorado to, you know, like get our expenses back for that trip. Right. So we were trying to get home quick to make some money to kind of like even out that whole trip and then, and then go from there. So we couldn't get home. And this flight, I think, was probably over $2,000 one way each. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So, uh, so talk about, like, networking. I have, like, my adopted dad in my in my mind. is uh, His name's Kevin Mackey. He saved us. And he, you know, travels all over the world for business. And he kind of used his points and, you know, really helped us out. And then we paid him back. And, you know, he, he – I basically called him on the phone. I'm like, hey – like we're stuck and I need help. And he's like, where are you at? What's the airport? Where do you want to land? And what time can you get there? Wow. And I was like, wow. Talk about networking and, you know, yeah. life-saving moments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so awesome. So he saved Mike, Mike Bogue and I from like a, just a disaster of a financial situation to just really throw us in the red. Totally. Man, that's crazy. And I'm sure stuff like that happens to guys all the time because it's just the the nature of the beast, if you will. Like you don't know when you're going to be able to come back and you don't know if you're going to qualify and get a place to stay. Right. right. So I'm, sh- I'm sure that's kind of I mean, that's kind of a crazy story, but I'm sure similar stuff like that happens all the time. So, yeah. So getting that monthly stipend is key. Right. Right. So you got to be like, how high up do you got to be fight? Like in terms of players in order to get that monthly stipend? Oh man. Uh, I think, you know, you don't quote me on this one, but I, I know it's definitely the top two teams, but it might trickle down to the top four teams in the nation. Wow. So that's it. So eight, maybe eight guys yeah. in the whole, in the whole country are getting their, their monthly stipend. Right. They get paid from USA Volleyball to actually represent USA Volleyball in the world, in the world league, basically. Wow. And then do they pay for their travel and stuff like that, too? Well, usually USA will give them a stipend based on how their performance is. So if they perform well and they, you know, I don't, I don't know the full detail on it, but I know when I played for the North Seca, you had to finish top four to get the additional travel stipend Okay, from USA. Man, that is just brutal. That is so hard to do when you think about how many good players there are. That's just crazy. And, I mean, it just seems so key to relieving you from the other uh, other requirements that you have to do in just life, like adulting, like we were talking about. Oh, yeah, we were just talking about the dream life, though, weren't we? We weren't talking about reality. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, but I mean, if you get that monthly stipend, what, obviously there's the, the financial advantage, but what advantages does that give you as a player? Oh, I mean, USA, USA takes care of their athletes, you know, like they'll have personal trainers or coaches out on the beach that run like group settings. And once you're in that group, you're, you're playing against like the top tier teams and then you're you know, you got massage therapists and physical therapists and you got a coach in there that says, Oh, Hey, your, your legs are kind of stressed out. Why don't you go ride the bike for 30 minutes and do an active recovery? And then you're like, I've never even heard of that. What is, what is this active recovery? I thought I'm just supposed to foam roll, hypervolt ice and compress the whole time. Right. Right. (laughs) Totally. Like, um, yeah, I mean, it's a huge benefit. It's it's just a day and night difference. And then you talk about sponsorships and, you know, mm-hmm. endorsement deals. I think, you know, I, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure Dahlhauser had a sponsorship from Smart Car okay. for a little bit. Okay. Or not a, an endorsement deal. You know, those okay. little tiny cars that, yeah, like it's hard for a six-foot person to get in. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Well, then, and then the other thing I would imagine is you don't have to work. Right. Like you don't have to work at another job. You, you, your volleyball becomes your job. So like then you don't have to go to whatever your job was. And a lot of these guys don't they can't have a, like a nine to five. Right. Or, or if they have a nine to five, it's with a great deal of flexibility. But you can't just have a nine to, nine to five because like you were saying, you're traveling on a Tuesday for the qualifier. That's probably Wednesday. 
you know, or, and then basically your whole week is done for. So, um, I would imagine just be getting that check is just so key because then you don't have to worry about all that stuff. Right. I, you know, I would assume that it's more like Uber drivers or bar backs or bartenders or, you know, they work something where they have like huge, huge amounts of flexibility. I, I, I don't think you can work a corporate job job and, you know, have the ability to, unless you're working like three days a week right. as like a, uh, like a fireman. Yeah. Or <laughs> like a work. real estate, maybe real estate agent or something like that, where you can make your own hours. But, but even then, I mean, it's, you're essentially doing two jobs. You're really volleyball at that level is a job. I mean, it's, it's a fun job. It's a really fun job, but it's a job. You have to, you have to treat it like that and be consistent with it. And, you know, put your time in. And then you also have to go to your whatever job, your real estate, even if that, if, if you have that job and look professional and not come, you know, right off the beach. And I don't know, it's a grind, man. It's, it's totally a, a grind. It's a fun grind, but it's, it's a grind, so, you know, you just... <laughs> it's, it's so frustrating, man. <laughs> it's uh it's it's a it's definitely like a you have to love this game to play this game like you you want to you want to give everything you have to be good at this game and then at the end of the day all you've given to your life is this game and just be careful with you know with what you're doing i can't there's so many people that i've that i've told this this story to probably more in depth is you know there's people that move out to california and they give everything to volleyball and then they end up moving back home five years later and they're like i don't i don't know what to do you know i was like well what'd you do you went out there and you tried to you tried to be the best volleyball player you could be right and he's like he i mean this is a specific guy he's like yeah i i moved out there and i i was out there for two years and i came home and i still can't I still can't like win tournaments and I, you know, this game can, can really ruin and depress, depress individuals to a point where they just get lost Mm -hmm. because all they know and want to know is, is volleyball. And then there's, there's the, the reality side that kicks in and like, I'm, I'm 30 years old. I don't, I don't have a house. I don't have a savings account. I have credit cards that have debt to it. I don't have a real job. I don't have a 401k. I live in meat paying my bills like month to month, you know, and then they're like, well, what, what am I going to do when I'm 40? Right. What, what do I do when I'm 50? You know, there, there's only those, you know, four to five top tier teams that, that make a paycheck to the, to the point where they don't have to make a paycheck anymore. They, they're all volleyball and all in. So, you know, th- that's the grind. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's another probably couple thousand guys that are wishing they were those top four teams. Right. And I mean, at least th- about 2000 guys, you know what I mean? Or more that wish the, or they were those top four teams. And if you want to be that, you have to live in the grind. Right. All those guys did it. I mean, Dahlhauser had a really quick ascension. But all those guys, Nick Lucena, I mean, he was in the grind forever. You know what I mean? He, and he got his opportunities and made the most out of it. He's, he's super good. But like even a guy like Taylor Crabb, who we see as a natural, he grew up on the beach. And he was doing his grind before, you know, he was even playing college. Uh, right, you know, right, so right. You're, it's just it's really cool to speak with you on this, Skylar. I'm. I know you're on track and you're paying your dues, man. Everyone's got to pay them, but you're getting better and better. And I mean, I'm definitely a huge fan of your game. I, I think the way you play is exciting, you know, oh, thank you. <laughs> it's, and uh, I think people should definitely check you out on YouTube. Just search Skylar Del Sol and you, you got a bunch of stuff on there and against some really top level teams too. Um, so, I mean, I so appreciate you being on. Is there anything else you'd like to share with everyone while you get a chance here? 
No, just you just keep grinding. You know, it'll it'll come together eventually. Absolutely, and like like you mentioned, and I love that you said this. You're left with stories, and those stories are awesome. Like other people won't be able to have the stories that you have of sleeping on a cement bed and whatever. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but it's true, and and I love that you said that because if you're trying to do it for the money, then it's gonna be a tough road right but if you're doing it for the experiences and and just the challenge of being the best you can then i think it it can and will be really really rewarding for people oh yeah do you agree with that absolutely absolutely that's so cool well i so appreciate it skylar thanks so much for being on and uh, we'll definitely keep keep track of you and, and watching you play so all right thanks thanks for having me comparing Norseca tournaments to like AVP tournaments, just real quick, the style of play. How does that, (laughs) how does that compare? (laughs) (laughs) Why why are you laughing? (laughs) Uh, This is (laughs) okay. So I went to this one Norseca event in Jamaica. (laughs) They they ended up tying a grass net to a tree and (laughs) one of the one of the poles was a tree so (laughs) (laughs) wow it's the norseka is not uh i want to call it like the underground like tour like (laughs) it's like where it's like where you get the mutants to come out of and then they i don't know they're underground they just they have uh grass nets they're not very I mean, you have poles that sometimes aren't padded. You had you sleep in hotels that you know could have roaches. I think uh, the first event that I was talking about that I went to Dave Smith, they had a concrete block that looked like the shape of a bed. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it, was awesome. a, it was a concrete block, and then they threw a sheet over it. <laughs> And then a pillow on top of it. And then, you know, you don't drink the water in this. I don't know what city we were in, but the city was, it was not good. I remember (laughs) uh, uh, a bigger, older lady made a pass at me while I was walking down the street (laughs) at night, just looking for something for, to eat. (laughs) And it was, I mean, she was missing like four teeth and it was, Oh my goodness. (laughs) It was pretty aggressive. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, So, I, I mean, we walked in this room and there's two, concrete blocks basically and i i jumped on on top of this bed because it looked like a bed and it was just it was a sheet that covered the the concrete (laughs) that's awesome oh man you're living the dream you're living the dream that's that's the dream yeah that's it's it creates stories that's what the dream is that's that's a great way of looking at it. That really, honestly, is a great way of looking at it. And you're only thirty, and I say only. I mean, the best guys are are older than thirty. You know, they're in their high thirties, right? Everybody, um, yeah. Yes. yeah. And so you still got a long time to get better, and you're definitely on your grind. I mean, you're you're paying your dues, and but I, I think it's eye opening for everyone to see that. I mean, you're literally one of the top players in the country and you're grinding it out just like everyone else is, man. And and you've had a ton of success, but it's still all relative, right? And you're still trying to break into the even higher tier and you're still trying to win even more. And I mean, I'm definitely, I definitely wish I was doing that. I really do. Like, it's such a fun, fun thing. But I definitely think people should realize, and now they do, what a grind it is. I mean, what? How would you characterize that grind?